Susan Gold grew up in a toxic family, but she has done the hard work necessary to transform her childhood trauma into adulthood freedom. This episode, Susan opens up about her personal struggles and the lessons she learned along the way. You will gain insights into how to live with authenticity, how to find forgiveness for people, the transformative power of self-care and discernment, as well as the beauty of embracing your true self. My father was a professor at the university, he was an astrophysicist, genius, but he had a little trouble with alcohol, <laughs> womanizing, narcissism. He was a Peter Pan, you know, fun guy, um, but yeah, wasn't really around too much and was not sober very often. Um, my mom was stuck raising five kids. She was equally as genius as my dad, but... Uh, she was pretty angry, you know, she was stuck with the load, so to speak. Um, and she came from a horrific background, horribly abused. Um, my dad was abused too, although according to him, it was an idyllic childhood. But when you dig down, yeah, maybe not. Um, so it was quite chaotic. I was the middle kid in five. Um, and uh, my mom sued through eating and they gave her diet pills to try to quell that. And that's speed. So yeah, I was raised by a drunk and a speed freak who may have had mental illness to boot. So I pretty much got out of there the morning after I graduated from high school. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a funny thing. Because in the I think I would, I'm not being as, uh, as precise as I'd want to be, but in the seventies, eighties and nineties, they were giving out a lot of these prescription drugs, which are, you know, meth and speed all, all like, and they're like, Oh, but you know, the side effects are that you lose weight. What's wrong with that? And it's like, well, you know, these are quite addictive substances that you're giving people. And you know, you, you look at a meth head now and you go to yourself, Oh wow. Okay. Their teeth fall out, their hair falls out. And these were the same side effects of these pills that the, the doctors were pushing to people. And they kind of like, you know, shoo these things away. But, as people live their normal life trying to, you know, operate as a meth head, they go to themselves, well, why do I feel like this? But I am losing weight. And that was the goal. So I guess I'm kind of achieving that goal type thing. Like the the sleep we were in, you know, zombie state. And I'm grateful we're continuing to awaken as we move forward as a species. There's a, there's a lot more education around these kind of pharmaceuticals and things, but you know, for you, obviously, you were growing up in this kind of house that was, I wouldn't say chaotic, but definitely something that you want to get away from. And what is it you think you were trying to get away from apart from the, the alcoholism and, you, you know, your mum's problems and all that kind of stuff? Was it more so that you felt that you wanted to do something great in the world or something big in the world? Or you just knew in your head as a young woman that you wanted to just go? Sam, you're really intuitive and insightful to ask that question. I can tell that you're a host that has at least a hundred podcasts under your belt. Um, intuitively, I knew I didn't belong. Intuitively, I knew I wanted to do something greater. I used to watch Barbara Walters on my beanbag chair in my basement on my belly. She was an incredible host and a real trailblazer for women, uh, specifically in journalism. And I found myself in New York City. I was there at 19. I was living in Greenwich Village on my own. I was doing an internship from school that I had negotiated. It was taboo then to do internships now. They like beg and plead, you know, <laughs> go get out. But then they wanted to keep you in the trial. So I love New York City and went back after graduation, got a job at a glittery global talent agency called International Creative Management. But I wasn't making enough money to really make ends meet. So I took up personal training on the side and Barbara Walters became one of my clients. Yeah. I mean, so you were somehow figuring out how to live on your own in New York City, which is nowhere near easy. You know, I think some there's some phrase out there. It's like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And they're talking about New York. But how did you kind of get in front of Bar Barbara Walters and, you know, make her become your personal training client? And what kind of time period are we in here we in early 2000s late 2000s like whereabouts are we just so i can kind of get a grasp of whether there was internet not internet or you know if we're in a digital world yet or that type of thing oh my goodness it was way before you were born so <laughs> let's see when was this it was in the 80s like forget the 2000s we weren't even near it yet and um you know my childhood gave me a certain amount of ability to take risk 
It gave me the ability to almost be telepathic, I would say. I could really intuit and read people's energies, and that served me. It was a survival tool. Um, but I came to serve Barbara Walters because the woman who ran this training agency was terrified to show up at her doorstep. She just she was too afraid. She couldn't do it. And I said, you know, I'll do it. Sure. And um, I'll never forget. I rang her bell one morning at seven and she's like, get in here. What's going on with you? And I'd been sexually harassed in the workplace the day before. And I was really traumatized. It kicked up a lot of abuse in childhood. Um, and she heard me out and she said, I'm coming to work with you this morning. We're going to confront this man together. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I got it. It'll be okay. And I did end up confronting my boss that day. And he asked me, do you have everything you need? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, great. You're fired. And Sam, I had like maybe two and a half months of cash in the bank. I had just extricated myself from an abusive relationship where the man was holding the purse strings, which is embarrassing to admit, but it's true. And I also um, was newly sober. So I picked up where my dad left off with the alcoholism. I realized I had a problem when I took a slug from a jug, a wine jug, to ask for a raise at work. And um, Barbara actually said, you can assist my fiance. He was running a big movie distribution company at the time. And I said, you know what? I can't be somebody's assistant. So I decided to broker talent deals, match celebrities with brands. And Donnie Deutsch, who was, he's a, an entrepreneur and an iconic host, TV host now. But then he was running his dad's ad agency and he really wanted Andy Warhol, the modern art master, to do a commercial for one of his clients, Pontiac. So he asked me, you know, you think you can deliver them? And I'm like, I can try. And um, they wouldn't pick up the phone at the factory, Sam. So I took the subway down there and I knocked on the door and Andy's business manager, Fred, answered and he heard me out. He said, come back tomorrow at the same time and I'll let you talk to Andy. I'm like, okay. So I showed up, sat in the foyer, sweating bullets, like practicing what I was going to say. Fred opened these double doors and said, Andy, we'll see you now. And I thought I was going to puke. And it was dark in there. I was like scared. And there was this pin spotlight coming down on this platinum hair that was shooting out everywhere. And these three little pug dogs were running around the studio and tugging at Andy's pants leg. And I was there yammering on about this commercial and blah, blah. And he was not giving me the time of day, he just discounted me and why I was there. And I was just watching these dogs and his interaction with these dogs. And I saw how much he loved these dogs. And he, that's what he cared about. But I knew I was in there for a reason or Fred wouldn't have permitted the audience. So finally, he stopped penciling and he's holding a dog in his hand close to his chest. And he goes, now, really, why should I do this? And I just paused for a second. And I, I remember I took a breath and I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. He's like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> That was like, that marked me. Yeah, I just made a name for myself, matching celebrities with brands and bringing talent to the table. And it led me into producing for TV. Roger Ailes ultimately asked me to help launch Fox News Channel just because of my ability bringing talent to the table. And ultimately, I, it led me out to L.A., yeah i mean so you went from you know the hardest place to make it in america as you know as the kind of slogan goes to the creative capital of america and also the second or maybe even tied first hardest place to make it in the country but i, I kind of want to ask you a few questions about your time in new york and all that kind of stuff because yes there's a massive creative scene out there there's a big art scene out in new york and all that kind of stuff and anybody who knows anything about art knows that most artists are very weird people and you did a great job of painting this picture of how andy warhol was in his studio but you said earlier that you had this kind of intuition from how your childhood was and this kind of sense for people and that's kind of what got you through the door of barbara waters and i guess that's what you use when you're talking to andy warhol 
but what is it that you think about you that makes people warm to you what is it that you do differently to the average person is it well I'm, the list i can't see this but is it your smile is it is it something like that or is it just the words you're saying or the fact that you kind of understand people because to to say to him oh you can have your pugs in the shot that's definitely something he's never heard before and you kind of broke through the noise so i'm wondering you know how do you do that do you have like a kind of game plan or strategy or are you just kind of reactive with it most of the time it's like first of all it's authentic so I have compassion for people I had compassion for my mom and what she was facing what she was dealing with I had compassion for my father and what he was living through I just I just came in with it and it's hard this road we're walking here I mean earth is not an easy place. You know, it could be straight up the ghetto of the solar system as far as <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's nasty. And and these people that, you know, have celebrity or notoriety or fame, they're just like, they're just like me, pulling their pants legs on one at a time and having their frailties and their anxieties and their human emotion, they, they just have to do it in public. And I kind of got that from, from the get. And the real celebrities to me, like now, are, you know, the guy down at the truss factory that's, you know, carrying out the 450-foot truss with another guy and earning like sixteen fifty an hour and got to go to the mini-mart at night to work. I mean, these are the heroes to me because I've garnered so much compassion. And ultimately that compassion turned inward as well because I didn't always have that, um, but now I have that and that's really been revelatory. Yeah, I mean, compassion can get you really far in life because a lot of people tend to have issues they haven't dealt with growing up and all kinds of traumas that they let affect them and make you know make them the person they are and you always kind of think to yourself oh why are they like that or I, I do at least I think well why are they like that okay what can I do to you know see the best in them or to get the best out of them and like, I guess that's a form of compassion that you have you know embodied in your life so you've gone from being in New York matching talent with you know opportunities or brand deals all that kind of stuff and now you're somewhere in your 20s, we'll say. <laughs> we won't get specific. And you're moving to LA now to launch Fox News Channel. Can you talk to me about anything you kind of came up against in that kind of process that was difficult or things that you kind of were seeing for the first time? Because that sounds completely different to what you were doing in New York. Yeah, so... I just want to say there's a, a big difference between the two cities or there were there were a huge amount of difference at that time. New York was a melting pot. There were multi industries and people were pretty blunt. They were straightforward. You knew where you stood. They would say no to your face. So L.A. was like an expansive nebulous, rolling sandbox that was a little quaky. The The ground was not stable. And that was not just because of earthquakes. It was a one trick town. It was the entertainment industry back then. And it was really difficult for me because I, I didn't know if people were were approaching me as a friend or if it was for a business connection. I, I felt sort of mined for what can you do for me? Let me, let me pick at you mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and see how I can climb to the next ratchet on the ladder. Um, I think in LA, um, at that time, narcissism um, was mushrooming. And ultimately, I feel it's become a bit of an epidemic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, why do you think narcissism is, is growing in people? What do you think is kind of driving that? I feel the systems we have in place now are structured in that way. The corporate system, 
the education system. It's, it's not so much community, although that is starting to bud. It's more about what can I get, not what can I give. And it's me versus you. And it's, I mean, my son said it. I was floored. I think he was 10. Maybe he watched too much Disney or it came from school. But he's like, Mom, don't you want me to know that boy, Philip, for lack of a better name, aren't you going to be doing business with his mom? And it fluffing floored me. I was like, this is painful. Something is awry. Hmm. And for you, what were the signs that kind of showed you that someone was a narcissist or someone had narcissistic tendencies? Because everybody knows the word, people kind of loosely use the word, but I'm, I'm wondering for you where you said you were seeing this, you know, all over the shop, what, what were the kind of common things you would see in these people or, or things that they would do? Yeah, well, it, it was all about service and service to their selves um, and just total disregard for, for kindness that sort of went out the window. Um, and, and you could, ha I mean, I could have had a major delivery on a show I was producing. I had a, I was, uh, co-running an industry talk show and we had everybody there, a any name. And I was walking them around the lot or I was throwing one of their clothes out of the trailer. So somebody else's clothes could go in the trailer. It was crazy. It was I even had a film that I set up at the time at Universal with the comedian Owen Wilson because people associated my producing on this entertainment show, this industry show, as, you know, my ability to bring talent to the table and become a film producer. So that ha happened by association. But it's, it, it all revolved back to themselves. And it was service to self. And it, it actually demonstrated itself most clearly in my personal relationship, Sam. I, I was invited to L.A. for what I thought was a great career opportunity, and it was. But ultimately, I feel I was delivered to Los Angeles to meet one of my most incredible gurus. And that was the man who would become my ex-husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find yourself kind of seeing that in yourself, there's elements of your parents. So as much as you might not be that alcoholic or that person with addiction problems, you tend to look for or attract people that are giving you that same kind of trauma or experience in like romantic relationships and even in friendship a bit. That's what I know. I mean, I attracted it in work too. That's, mm. that's what I knew. I mean, with my mom, it was serve, it was serve her. Um, you know, be mum, do not take any credit and just serve the situation to be whole. And with my father, it was glitter to get his attention, anything you could do to hold his attention. And then by puberty, I was sorely rejected by him and never really recovered. And I was attached since second grade and Billy Fritz on the play playground to some kind of male attention. I mean, face it, then it was like, it was a patriarchal society. And certainly in Hollywood, a predatorial society, a patriarchal system that was broken. Mm. And I, I know like there's a, there's an element of kind of genetics to play as well where you would have these own traits in yourself i'm wondering where you kind of took that kind of for lack of a better kind of phrase like that that addict brain and applied it were you like throwing yourself into work was it fitness because you said you did personal training but from the sounds of it it's kind of like you did that for a bit and then kind of you know stayed on your fitness journey i'm just wondering where you kind of had like an addiction sort of mentality i was never enough I was trained into low self-esteem and feeling less than and lack and unworthy. You have to understand I was in an environment where my mother could be incredibly loving and the next moment she's beating you with a wooden spoon until you're almost numb 
and null and void. I mean, her mantra to me was I was going to end up in an insane asylum and crazy. I had to face that down. I had horrible clinical depression. I used to break up my parents' fights. I was the mediator between them. I was, I don't know, maybe I was seven. They were screaming outside my door. My mother was on her knees pleading for her life. I opened the door. My father had a knife in his hands, holding it above his head while my mother was on the ground. And I had to yell, stop, scream it. And I fainted. And here I was at work being a mediator between two parties, trying to bring them together. And it amplified. And I split out of myself and had a horrible clinical depression. And another bout was suicide that I had to step up and out of. And ultimately, I did. I learned tools. I, I faced truth. I said, this is not working in my work environment. I have to face this and try something different. And I've been open to break the bloodline and break the system of abuse. Hmm. And what kind of strategies or the kind of systems did you use to overcome these obstacles? So talk therapy was really important to get the storyline down. It was pivotal, but I think we can only, or I'll speak for myself. I could only go so far from my head. Ultimately, Sam, to really create change, to really become a human being with emotion, not a robotic automaton working for approval. I had to get into my heart and I had to go into my body somatically and dig around for those places of, you know, feeling like utter annihilation if somebody would correct some piece of work or, or the fear of, of being a total failure when a deal I negotiated fell apart. You know, I really had to dig and repurpose myself. The athletics got out of control. I was using marathons and triathlons and hot yoga and kettlebells like a heroin addict would heroin even though I had done a lot of work on myself I still needed that medicine and and ultimately that persona was ripped away from me and it was a gift I mean I could not walk around my block and I had to retrain my body and my being and it taught me compassion for self. I wasn't waking up at 4.30 to jump in a frozen pool at 5.30 a.m. to swim 4,000 meters when I was vulnerable and hurting. I didn't need national rankings anymore to say, hey, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay just as I am right now. I'm doing the best I can do. And I've had the privilege of of success. I've, I've had the thrill of talking one-on-one -on -one with, with people that are household names and have made incredible movies and written amazing books. But ultimately, this is my purpose where I am now to, to share that, yeah, all that stuff <laughs> doesn't fill that hole. I had to go back and tease out those threads and put them all together until they actually created an amazing brocade. And for me, it was, it was finding forgiveness. Like I forgive that guy that chased me around the office and grabbed my crotch. I forgive my dad. I forgive my mom. I forgive my oldest brother who used me like a lab experiment. They were doing the best they could. They played their roles to a T. They were in massive pain and amnesic states. I feel grateful. I, I've really taken the road to examine all this, to air it out and separate. I've had to create boundaries, but ultimately I could come back full circle. You know, I engage with my family now. I, I wish them well. I wish that husband that I had, I wish him well and peace. 
And I'm living a free life as a result of it. It's, it's not the easier, softer way. It's not the standard way, but the, I learned for myself, the more I clung to that victim role, that martyr role, the more I blamed, the more that toxicity ate away at my own being. And it was really doing the work to release it that has made the difference. And it's brought me authentic abundance, authentic creativity, and authentic being. I'm not panicked anymore. I'm not living like that gerbil on that wheel running so fast. I'm much more able to really say authentically how I feel or know that no, thank you is a complete sentence. These are amazing little freedoms for me. Yeah. I mean, and part of forgiving someone, it's not for them, it's for yourself. Because when you kind of hold on to these things, like you said, it eats away at you and it makes you feel worse. But once you let that go, like, yes, that person's actions may not have changed. They may not have apologized, but you forgiving them takes that weight off your shoulders. That same weight that you thought you couldn't get rid of. You go, do you know what? I see them for who they are. I'm letting that go. And I'm wondering for you, you know, you've written a book which is called Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. Was that process of writing that book and that kind of element of catharsis, the thing that kind of led you to being the person you are now? Or was it something that you did after becoming this person? I would have to say, Sam, that it's been a block by block process. I mean, just living my childhood and then recovering first from addiction then clinical depression and then narcissistic abuse, the blocks all have come together. The book, oh man, I ran from that dude. I did not want to write a book. <laughs> like, really? I need to go through that for a PR tool, please. You know? <laughs> just like, ouch. I think it was... 2007 and an Irish seer told me you have a book to write it's going to help a lot of people and I just slammed that under the carpet and then two more intuitives back to back in like 2019 told me you have a book to write and then the third one said you have three books to write and I was like oh fluff I better get going before it's the library but you know and I went at it like a bulldog producer you know I, I sit 15 minutes at the computer a day even if I had nothing to write you know <laughs> It's just like, okay, let's bulldoze through this process. But, you know, I got, I did get a manuscript that way, but I didn't feel a connection to it. My heart wasn't there. Again, we're back at this heart stuff, right? Like, it's important. I poo-pooed it for so long. I tried to train it away, bludgeon it away, eat it away, drink it away. But that's where the magic is. And a mentor said, you know, Go take another pass at that book. Walk through it. This time, write it from little Susie's point of view, that little one inside you, that little light that's walked through all that you've been through with you, beside you. And I took her advice. And it's not so much that the black and white of the manuscript of the book changed, but the way that I related to the experience completely changed. That's when I really understood coming from a heart center. That's when I understood love for myself and compassion. That's when I understood my power. I mean, people told me that you're so independent. You're so powerful. You're so accomplished but I was crumbling inside and I needed all that stuff. The compulsive exercise, the, the relationship past its expiration date. I needed all that stuff to feel like I was okay. And now that I've really walked through and opened those compartments again, aired it out and seen it from my heart space, that's a whole new zip code. Mm. And what were some of the kind of key insights you got or lessons you learned from the book? Because I feel like what you said is you took all the pieces, all the blocks of your life and you thought you'd put them down in the book. And then when you had your mentor say, actually, you know, go back over it and write from the heart, you actually ended up with a completely different insight to share or a different lesson that you wanted to kind of teach to people. Well, you know, just like the workbook 
in the book. You know, these were all exercises that that I had learned and I had used. And some of those things, they're really simple, but they kept my feet on the ground. There were plenty of times I wanted to exit. You know, the first suicidal impulse I had was when I was six. It opens the book. And that repeated throughout my lifetime. And so these simple exercises like really help me keep my feet on the ground. And it it's not so much the black and white of the manuscript changed. It was my relationship to it. I mean, I still didn't understand that my story was that unique. I didn't think it was that special. Who would be interested in this? Oh, there have been tons of books written on the same topic. Maybe not with the toxic family title. That's a little taboo, but I wanted that conversation up and out. The title actually isn't even my title. It was my publisher's title. My title was Magical Illumination because that's how I feel about it now. I feel like it is a magical illumination looking back, but ultimately the person that's going to be drawn to this book is the title Toxic Family is completely fitting and that's more <laughs> what's contained in the in the book than rainbows and butterflies. But um, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, but the, the book was revelatory. I mean, I remember like reading the galley, you know, the publisher, publisher sent me the galley, said, this is it, you know, walk through it one more time. I think I read tr chapter 12. It was, it was about the divorce. And I was like, holy crow, that woman's strong. <laughs> I was like, yeah. uh, you are that woman. It's hard sometimes to, to you know, take, take your own work in and listen back to it or, you know, read it back and go, I wrote that? Wow, I need to hear that. But it's like, wait, but I'm the person that said or or did this, you know, but sometimes we don't even take our own kind of lessons in is, is what I've learned personally anyways. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we each have our shining jewel to share. Yeah. And what, and what do you feel like your shining jewel is to share with the world? What is it that... Susan is bringing to the world to make it that little bit better? Well, I think it's love for ourselves. I think being able to look at your challenges and your challengers as gifts of soul evolution. I mean, I see this as one big mother fluffing classroom, you know, and it's my choice. I can walk through and groan and moan about that celebrity I attached to that TV show and the producer didn't include me as part of the producing team and X'd me out of the deal. I can like focus on that <laughs> or I can look at the fact that, wow, thank God I'm not walking around in his body, you know, with all that karma and insanity. And thank God I'm free to create and be who I am authentically and I'm comfortable <laughs> in this earth suit. Yeah. And you, you mentioned something that I've been kind of waiting to talk about, which is authenticity. You have this kind of thing around authentic happiness. So I'm wondering if you can kind of define for me and the listener, what authentic happiness is, but then also kind of go into the process that we can go through, you know, as individuals to get to that authentic happiness. Okay, Sam. And I want you to keep me on track. If I don't answer your question, <laughs> like mush in. But I just want to say for so long, I felt I had saran wrap, like plastic wrap around my body, like a mummy. And I couldn't really connect. I mean, people thought I was their best friend. I could make conversation with most anyone and make you feel good. And it was about you. Whereas inside, I felt still isolated. The barbs on the wire were turned inward and surrounding me. And I didn't know how to extricate myself from it. And it wasn't until the universe did for me what I could not do for myself and had me drop all those false shields I was holding, like the codependent relationships or the need for perfectionism to drop all that stuff so I could feel my authentic being and say, this is enough. 
This is okay. This is who I am. I mean, just like two weeks ago, uh, an associate, a colleague wanted me to come to her. I don't know. She found some new drink or whatever. And, you know, she's really into it. And it's an MLM thing. And like, I'm really glad it's working for her, but it wasn't for me. And I knew it. And I could say to her, you know what? I wish you well for this. It's this one's not for me. But I got you on this art project you're trying to get off the ground. Let me help you with that. That's like authentic. That's huge. Not taking responsibility for something at work that I didn't really do. I would like cover for the other people. I was the one several times that got fired because I stuck my neck out. I was the one that would get kicked off the island. I don't have to do that anymore. I can be who I am and let others be who they are because you know what? They've got their journey to walk to and it's with purpose. Hmm. That's, a, that's a great way to define it. And it makes people kind of feel like that what they're doing or what they, you know, getting out of uh, interaction or relationship with you is worth something as opposed to, you know, a, a transactional because you feel like, oh, Susan's doing this for me because this is how she's deriving joy from this, whereas she wants you know, something back type thing, which is a very interesting dynamic to have. I feel like a lot of people could benefit from living their life of, you know, if everybody was in service to each other, things would be much better. But, you know, that dynamic is, is hard to work with and, you know, something that will take years and years and gener <laughs> generation on generation to break down. But, okay, so we've got to the point now, you've written your book, you are working still in Hollywood, I assume, at this point? So yeah, I, wa I was still there, but right after I finished the first pass, that little intuitive voice started to bark at me again. I tried to shove it on the rug, but they're like, this LA place really noisy. Wow, you're really freaked out here. <laughs> it's getting a little crowded. Things don't feel right. Bah, 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 bah. There's a 5G tower on your neighbor's curb. They just put it up. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, doesn't feel good. So I started listening and I started searching for quieter places. It really felt like, yeah, maybe it's time to, to listen to that voice and... So uh, I ended up leaving LA. I didn't think I would. I put my house up on the market and I moved to Noro, uh, rural Northwest Montana. Try to say that three times fast. I'm about <laughs> four miles, um, four mile walk to the Canadian border. And though I grew up in a tiny town and I had a cabin in the Catskills when I lived in New York City, I thought I'd stay in California for the rest of my my days. But you know what? Like when you really listen, sometimes you're directed elsewhere. And so I am surrounded by nature. I thought I was going to be in the forest somewhere, but I'm not. I'm out on the expansive prairie. I see the sky. I see the stars. I have mountains and beauty and wildlife. Very wild out here. <laughs> and um, I'm... I'm a different being. I'm I'm not as frenetic. Um, I'm more thought-filled. I'm not as reactionary. I take action. I'm coming um, for, from a more grounded place. It started in L.A. It started in New York, but here it even feels safer to do it. And I finished the book here. Um, it was published in March of 2023. And slowly I'm considering moving into more coaching um, than what I had been doing. I still appreciate that. Um, but I have to also watch it because I'm a super empath and suck up energy. And so I'm trying to be authentic with myself in that arena too. So the book is doing its work. People are responding and changing. It's been called an activation. They're not the same at the start of the book that they were at the beginning. And people are actually finding the workbook exercises helpful. So I think there is another book to write, Sam. It's, it's <laughs> starting that little voice is like, 
on my morning walks. Yeah, you got another book in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that part about the city, though, as well, because I think the city kind of does have an effect on us. It makes us act differently. It makes us feel different. And even if you say you're comfortable there, if you think about where you're at now, you know, in a rural area versus the city, when you're in the city, Every time you walk down the road, it's, it's different people. Every time you're trying to go to sleep, there's sirens, there's cars racing by, all these things happen. And you think you're numb to it, but it still does something to you. So much so that if you were to be like somewhere where you are now, where at night all you hear is wildlife and, and or, you know, crickets and silence, it can be quite unsettling. But once you get used to that, your body kind of resets, you know, your nervous system and you go, actually, yeah, this is how I should have been all along. And you said to yourself, oh, you've got a second book in there. Uh, I think your second book is about the idea of, you know, not only, you know, working to hear your inner voice, but actually listening to it and then, you know, having that conversation with your, your inner voice. That's what I'm picking up on. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm going to take that to task. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. I'll let you know where we are in a year with that. Somebody <laughs> no, somebody else, another, another podcast host said... Um, yeah, you need to do a TED Talk on that Andy Warhol experience. <laughs> I have to like keep doing these podcasts. I'm getting incredible ideas. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, most definitely. I think it's the thing of having a like a structured conversation where you kind of you know peel back layers of yourself and you go, actually, yeah, that's a great idea, and you know all that kind of stuff. So you also said you want to get more into coaching and consulting. What kind of coaching and consulting are you looking at? You're looking at more of your yeah, thought leadership, brand building stuff, or is it something completely different? Is it like mindset based and all that kind of thing? Yeah. So that word mindset really freaks me out. The digital cacophony of the, of getting these emails from people who want to be my best friend or think they are my best friend and want to sell me their, their workshop that they've marked down from $5,287 to $97. I, I don't <laughs> know. It kind of is freaking me out. I'm just like super honest. Mm. Um, I feel like people that, hear my story or hear me speak, they are drawn to me and they know they are and they come authentically. And I listen to their story. I listen to where they are in the present and I share my experience. I share mentors that have helped me. I share modalities that have helped me and I give them exercises that have helped me and I support them on their walk as I was supported. And I think that's the beauty of being a human being on this earth, being awakened today. Yeah. And what does an awakened person operate like in their day-to-day -day life? Because in my mind, sometimes when someone becomes awakened, suddenly they don't want to wear shoes anymore. And they think the idea of money is a bit <laughs> ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Well, right now, like money is like important because how else do we eat and keep a roof over our heads? Yeah. It may change in the future, but like, let's be practical. And we're entitled for money for services and experience. Um, so, um, and an enlightened person, I think they're, they're humble, they're honest, they don't need the truth forced upon them. They're grounded about their experiences and authentic and they know they can only be power by example not power over and i don't know I, I that's what it is for me i don't have all the answers and and i'm as feeble and flawed as the next person is but i can share my experience what i've walked through and what has helped me mm. And so to the person out there who is currently going through their own challenges, traumas, or they just, you know, have that feeling inside that same feeling you had as a young girl to transform or to, you know, get to the next level. What are the kind of things that you would say to them, you know, in this moment? What would you say as advice? What would you say is just, this is my truth so that they can kind of hear it and learn from you? Well, we're going to do something experiential right now. I'd have them take a deep breath. And then either the right or left doesn't matter. Put your hand on your solar plexus. So top your rib cage, base of your heart space. Take another breath in and just whisper to yourself silently or say it out loud. I'm okay. 
I am okay. I'm okay. And, and that's a really simple thing that I do right out of the bat because you're a whole new being after you really feel and sense that. That's, that's going in to soften and, and feel the essence of your being. That's your power. That's your strength. That's your beauty. Hmm. I mean, there's, there's definitely power in you know, having mindfulness and, and that kind of little exercise we just did there is you know exactly that it's the the idea of becoming present as well as you know putting in the thoughts and ideas that you would like to have as opposed to just being reactive and you know for me I've, I've had times where you know panic attacks you know all kinds of different kind of mental health issues have come to me but when I I look at how I got through that it was always an element of mindfulness there's there's not enough pills or you know treatments that you can do as opposed to actually becoming mindful. Like I think all of those things are there to get you to a path where you actually become a more mindful individual. You know, Sam, I have to agree with you and I have had experience with um, uh, medication, serotonin reuptake inhibitors or something like that. But you know, that, that stuff, that doesn't fix the problem. That just gets you to a place where you can actually do the work you need to do to walk through it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's significant and it does take a willingness to surrender. And that's, that's not for the faint of heart. Mm. And you sound like a person who's done a lot of learning or, uh, you know, is, is kind of always a sponge for these kind of new things to come into your life and maybe you don't take them all on and, and implement them in your life but i'm wondering you know where do you do most of your learning is it books is it podcasts is it youtube is it you know person to person because you said you've spoken with some of the most successful you know or most kind of well-known people in the world i'm just wondering where you do most of your learning and, and how that kind of what that looks like so it's a blending I think what's been most important the last, say, five years is the tool of discernment. Because after all this work that's come, it's come from other people, it's come from mentors, it's come from friends, recommendations, it's come from therapists, it's come from coaches, it's come from longtime yogis, meditators, endurance athletes, world champions, you know, Olympians books that just, you know, get delivered somehow. Isn't that funny how the stuff we need just, you know, comes right to us if we're, if we're watching, but ultimately, and certainly over the last five years, it's what's become important is personal discernment. What feels good inside me just because everybody else is following the latest fad. I don't know, paleo, because I can't think of anything else. Does that feel right for my body? Mm, nope, not going to mm. pick that up. Does the latest, you know, mindset guru, does that feel good to me? Nope, that makes me neurotic. That brings up my perfectionism, not for me. So I just keep looking, you know, and sometimes it's just taking a breath and watching the grass flow. Mm. Yeah, just just existing is, is enough sometimes. I wonder if you, so you said it comes from a multitude of sources. What is your, your current source? Are you reading a, a book that's been quite impactful? Actually, no, let me, let me change that question up. What has been the most impactful book you've read? Oh, I, you know, one of my favorites is Starborn. It's really old. Another is Drama, The Gifted Child. But Starborn is about um, a baby that comes in and their cord is intact, like their information cord. So, <laughs> so they're in touch and in tune. And they're working outside the matrix, so to speak, right off the bat. Yeah, it was like a fantasy tale and so sweet. I never forgot it. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of influenced you in your life to be that kind of starborn person and okay and what are you you know learning from now what are you reading or what are you doing you know mentor wise or coaching wise that's like having an effect on you now day to day yeah so quiet marketing it's an australian woman that wrote the book um she's got a big presence on instagram 
But I think I was talking earlier about how I have, uh, you know, conflicting feelings about this digital marketing stuff. And, you know, everybody deserves to eat, but it just is feeling wrong and raw. I hate social media. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm marketing through conversations and podcasts and thinking about SEO because that's what feels good for me. I'm writing a newsletter just to include people. Sometimes I don't even say anything about my book or, you know, my workshops or whatever. I just find a cool thing on Instagram and share it, repost it, because it just makes me want to puke all this cacophony around this stuff. And I think there's got to be a better way. I, I totally feel everybody has their right to earn, but it always feels like there's this underhanded manipulative messaging in that, in that pitch on how, you know, you're going to be my new best friend and exposing some kind of flaw that, that ties into Schitt's Creek or some other great, you know, like new TV show. Um, yeah, so I'm reading quiet marketing cause that's like helping me go within and, and see how I want to take steps to reach out and connect and what works for me. And you kind of have to be brave these days to, to do that. But it sort of follows what I've learned so far and the trajectory. And why should it be any different in my business platform? No, yeah, most definitely. Well, Susan, I have a, a question that I ask every guest, but I feel like you'll have one of the best answers I've heard so far because you've had so much crazy things happen in your life and then you've done so much work to get to where you're at now but what, what i would like to know is what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy connecting with people knowing we're in this walk together we're all human beings having the experience of shame of guilt of neglect of abandonment of fear of insecurity of joy of excitement of possibility, opportunity. It's all a hodgepodge and a blend. We're knocking around here, banging around and trying to figure it out. And I really feel like when we leave, we're going to have the biggest laugh ever. Where can the people find you online? Just go to susangold.us. It's all there. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 